Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Parents are so busy with all the stuff they have to do, the immediate urgent needs of their family and the important responsibilities they have. They often don't have much time to take care of their own mental health and like have support for coping with these feelings or have space. Often parents just try to skip over feeling the feelings and to get the work done. And while that that is something uh, that's admirable and advisable in many situations to just kind of plow through it. Um, when your child has a condition over the longer haul, you know, it, you at some point have to have to make sure that you are attending to your emotional needs as a caregiver to be your best self and a parent with intention. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 282. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome, welcome, veggie lover. Today, I have an episode for you focused on parenting with a return guest, Dr. Kelly Fraden. She was on a couple years ago to talk about her book, uh, Parenting in a Pandemic. And now she has a new book called Advanced Parenting. It is a wonderful resource. So let me tell you again about Dr. Kelly Fraden. She's a graduate of Harvard College and Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons. And she is a pediatrician and mother of two from New York City. She is the director of pediatrics at the Atria Institute in New York City, where she works with leading experts to bring innovations in preventive care to their members and underserved populations. During her time working in public health in the South Bronx, she launched her Instagram account at Advice I Give My Friends to promote calm, realistic, and evidence-based advice to families. Pursuing this mission, she wrote Parenting in a Pandemic to help give parents the tools they needed to interpret the news and support their family during the peak of the pandemic. Her new book, Advanced Parenting, was published published by Hatchet in April of 2023 and seeks to support parents in navigating their children's challenges. So this book, Advanced Parenting, she's is specifically speaking to parents that have children with complex health care needs. But honestly, you know, I've read through this book and it applies to all parents. There's things in here that I found very helpful just for my own mindset. And remember, 
a lot of doctors, we're parents too. So we go through the same struggles that you go through because even though we're physicians, even though we're healthcare providers and professionals, when it comes to your own child, your brain works differently. You know, we still feel all the anxieties and the guilt and the emotional roller coaster that you do. So reading this through the lens as a parent, I found it very helpful and reassuring. So in this episode, we talk about her own experience as a child with cancer, what it means to have a child with complex healthcare needs. We talk about how having a child with complex healthcare needs affects the entire family. We talk about the emotional roller coaster, the stages of grief. We talk about guilt, how that leads to stress. We talk about shared decision-making and how friends and family can support caregivers of children with complex healthcare needs, how they can reach out and lend support um, and then she ends with top three tips for parents and caregivers navigating the healthcare world, what they can do to make sure that they're taking care of themselves too. It's a great episode. I think that you'll find it very valuable and please pick up a copy of this book. I think that you will really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here episode after episode and welcome to my new listeners. I really appreciate you. I hope that you love it and that you stick around and explore all the other episodes I have. And now let's welcome Dr. Dr. Kelly Fraden. Dr. Kelly Fraden, welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you have been quite a busy woman since the last time we talked. Despite COVID and everything, you have a new book out, which I think is phenomenal. It's going to help so many people. So I'd love to talk about that. But before we talk about some of the concepts in your book, I think a lot of people need to understand kind of why you've written your book. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your background and your history, what you do, and then we'll get into some of the terms and definitions. Absolutely. So, you know, I was partially inspired to become a pediatrician after having my own experience with childhood cancer. You know, it wasn't so much the direct experience of being a patient, but more that through that experience, I had some really great role models in the medical community of people who I thought were making a big impact, a positive impact on children and families. And, and that was inspiring to me. And um, when it came to the book, part of what I observed through being a, a sick child was that uh, the impact my diagnosis had on my family, you know, my parents, their, their health, um, their professional lives, their marriage, their mental health, their physical health, everything for years after my diagnosis. It was um, something that my family navigated sort of on their own without a lot of guidance or support from professionals. And I think that awareness of the bigger picture and the fact that that outside of a child um, is this whole um system of the family and the school community and siblings, um, you know, that I wanted to provide a resource to help parents navigate all the non-medical aspects of having a, a diagnosis or a difference or a challenge. And that's what inspired me to write the book. Awesome. Well, let's talk about what does it mean to have a child with complex healthcare, complex medical needs? Yes. So, you know, for for a few years after um, after I finished my training, I really focused on children in this population. There are a lot of different definitions um, depending on who you're asking and why, why we're using the term. So some folks look at it from a program standpoint. Like if you have a complex care clinic, you have to set kind of a line for how sick, uh, how sick you have to be to qualify for the clinic. 
So it's typically patients who have extra skilled nursing needs, um, say a child who has a technology like a breathing tube or a feeding tube, a child who has multiple diagnoses requiring care from two subspecialists. So those sorts of things typically qualify someone as, as having a complex condition. I think, you know, that experience did inform part of why I um, felt qualified to tackle this book and this topic. But I also have sort of an appreciation for the fact that it's not that different than the sort of work that every parent has to do in navigating educational and medical systems for their families. You know, so so in my experience, being um, the parent of a child in the complex condition is is it can be very isolating to be thought of as sort of like in a different boat than other parents. Um, and so I think it's important that we we kind of keep it all together, that all parents have to navigate this kind of extra work of being an advocate for their child and navigating these systems. And and that that's like a shared experience. It's not like you're over there doing it alone and you're so different from your peer parents. Yeah. But there's definitely even extra pressures and extra stresses that some parents may not face having a child that may be typically developing or not have some of these chronic conditions. So do you have any statistics on approximately how many children fall into the category? I know that there's the definitions can differ that have complex healthcare needs. Yes. You know, there there's some big studies about this. Um, oh. I will say it seems like about a third of children have a chronic health condition. If you include things like asthma and eczema and food allergies, these things are quite common. If If we're talking only about the children who have more traditionally thought of as complex needs, it's thought that you know, one to 3% of children um, really make up as much as half or or 60% of the healthcare visits and healthcare spending. So so it, it's a big, when you're in a children's hospital or in a subspecialist office, you know, these these um, sort of families are, are more frequent flyers and frequent utilizers of healthcare services because of the need. Yeah. So even though it may not be as big of a number of patients, they do need to see doctors more frequently because more issues come up and more questions and more things need to be solved. So thanks for explaining that. So you kind of touched on this a little bit, given your experience and what you saw through your diagnosis and even later years, but how does having a child with complex healthcare needs affect parents and the entire family? Yes. So so I would say most parents are, are often overwhelmed by being a parent, you know, uh, finding childcare and making a living, keeping your home running in terms of the meals and the laundry and all the logistic work. And so parents who face additional challenges for their children are often even more overwhelmed. You know, there there have been studies looking at like rates of burnout amongst parents that show when your child has a chronic condition, your your risk of being burnt out um, is about double the risk of an average average or typical parent. Um, and, and so it's it's quite true that there's a lot of extra work. There's, you know, researching the condition, there's going to all the appointments, there's um, there's all the logistics of navigating insurance and pharmacies and getting the supplies you need for your family. And um, all of it takes time and energy and patience and it is on top of what, what all parents do. So so it's fair to say that it's it's a big demand 
And and often it's kind of unseen labor or maybe undervalued labor. You know, I think as pediatricians, we see the impact that that work can have on a child, you know, to find the right specialist and to get the right services and the right plan is so good for the child. And, uh, but it doesn't just happen. Like it takes a lot of work. Um, but since that work is sort of done, um, you know, in found time and in, research and social media groups and stuff like this sometimes parents think of it as like you know frivolous time like worry work but it but it really is incredibly impactful so that's why it's important to talk about how to make the most of that time yeah i mean it's hard to even conceptualize how much time it takes because you're right we're both parents and you know <laughs> some of those weeks like my older son he's graduating this year from high school and there's like a bazillion different activities to attend and all of these different things. And, oh, sign up for this potluck and sign up for this thing. And you need to bring this. And it's just like, how can you even do all of that? But then add on top of that, oh, your child needs to, you know, you need to clean their tube and, and change their trach and do all these things on top of all of that. It just seems unfathomable that there even is enough time. And so many people have no experience or any clue how much these parents have to navigate, manage, and juggle all of these different things. And I imagine that one of the first things that start, well, not I imagine, I know, because obviously I see parents sleep is one of the first things that starts to go. But then there's just like a myriad of emotions. So can you talk a little bit about the emotional roller coaster that parents and caregivers go through when not just they're navigating the actual diagnosis, but when they initially are given a diagnosis that their child has one of these conditions? Yes. I think I can speak for most pediatricians and healthcare providers to say that we we kind of under support um, parents in these times because it is a lot of emotions that you have to deal with. Um, you know, there's often a grief. There's like, this is not how I imagined our parenting journey to be. This is not how I imagined my child's my child's life to be, you know, like it makes people sad. It makes people angry when their children have conditions that are hard, you know, whether they cause pain or they cause disability or they cause um, the, you know, the child not to be able to participate in traditional um, activities like, you know, sports or camps or whatever it is, you know, parents are so busy with all the stuff they have to do, the immediate urgent needs of their family um, and the important responsibilities they have. They often don't have much time to take care of their own mental health and like have support for coping with these feelings or have space. Often parents just try to skip over um, feeling the feelings and to get the work done. And while that that is something uh, that's admirable and advisable in many situations to just kind of plow through it. Um, when your child has a condition over the longer haul, you know, it, you at some point have to have to make sure that you are attending to your emotional needs as a caregiver to be your best self and a parent with intention. And now for a very important message. Hey, mama. If you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. 
Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. Is it important to acknowledge that caregivers do have to go through these stages of grief? You know, we think of these stages of grief only when someone dies. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't give people the time and the space or even just acceptance of some of those feelings, because I think as a society, like as a parent or your child's alive, I'm not allowed to feel angry. I'm not allowed to feel these things. So why is it important to acknowledge that they have to go through these stages? You know, I think it, I think it's important because parents feel a lot of pressure, like you said, always to, um, to uh, focus on sort of the positive, you know, that it's hard for people to wrap their heads around the fact that you can be really upset about something your child is dealing with and that you can also love them an incredible amount, mm-hmm. um, that the sort of mixed, uh, emotions, maybe that other people don't understand them or that you don't give yourself permission to feel them because of society's kind of pressure for parents to just always, um, be, be positive and be, um, be constructive and be, be in a, you know, rainbows and unicorn kind of mindset. So, so I think when parents, um, can be real about what they're facing. Um, they can find more support from their their family, their um, the other caregivers for their children, the educators involved, the doctors involved. You know, to it, it's you can't learn um, new skills. For example, when you're in a place of like you know an eight out of ten of of dealing with sadness or grief or anger, you know, so sometimes to be like, I, I am at my limit for what I can handle today. And I really want to want to do this, but I, I just can't yet. Um, when you admit that, then the people who are around you can help you get to a place where you can, can be where you need to be to do all the things you need to do. But the first step is talking about the big feelings and admitting them. And um, that takes a bravery and a vulnerability that, that some people don't, you know, that they don't necessarily have. But I think it's important because it, otherwise it's just so isolating for families to sometimes think these thoughts and think that maybe they're the only one um, that experiences them. Um, and, and that's one of the things where sometimes finding your people 
um, in terms of other parents who have gone through similar things. Um, social media has a lot of problems and there's some misinformation out there and, and all of this, but it can connect other parents, you know, in a way that they can, you know, you don't have to have money or childcare to be able to to access some of the Facebook groups where you might connect with other people with a similar experience and learn from them or connect with them about some of these things that might be hard to talk about with people who don't get it. Yeah, for sure. I think there's, you know, support groups are invaluable. And in those support groups, those habits of processing emotions can be modeled because you were saying earlier that sometimes some people don't have that ability to express those. But I think also it just hasn't been modeled to us in our society. I think in the United States, we're just like, you know, tough it up, you know, be tough. Don't show those negative emotions, just grind through it. And um, sometimes when we suppress it all down, it just comes back up like a, like a beach ball underwater in a really aggressive way. So it's nice to be able to have those places where you could just be real and be authentic and somebody else can support you and say, you know what, we've all been there. We've all been through the same thing. This is normal. Just keep, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Let's talk about something that all parents experience at all levels and that's guilt. So why do caregivers experience guilt and how does that lead to stress? Yes, you know, it it comes up with most diagnoses um, that children carry. Parents end up wondering if it's their fault. and sometimes parents just openly talk to us as pediatricians about that. And sometimes they don't, but they have these beliefs that maybe it was that Tylenol that I took when I was pregnant that impacted my child's development later on. And and often um, these, because we care so deeply for the well-being of our children, these feelings can be kind of intrusive and and hard to hard to um, make peace with. But um we, when we talk about, again, it goes back to like connecting with others and talking about these things out loud. Often when we say them out loud, sometimes these beliefs um, that were, we are guilty or somehow at fault for our children's conditions, you know, when they're not based in reality, like we hear it when we say it out loud. And then we have that reality check moment of, you know, I couldn't have possibly known that my child was going to have a developmental delay and somehow provided anticipatory therapies. Nobody knew that they were going to have this. And and it's not my fault that that the pediatrician also didn't see any signs of it at the earlier visits. And, you know, it's a it's a heavy burden to try to carry feelings of guilt alone. And so so when you talk about it, it can be very freeing. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about shared decision making. I think, you know, that's something that we've tried to talk about a lot over the years, but a lot of people still haven't heard that term or know what it means. So what does it mean and why is it important? Yes. You know, I I think one of the big goals of the book is sort of prop parents up to to their rightful place, which is being like the expert on their child and being, um, you know, the quarterback for, for the plan and the decisions that happen. And I think sometimes because of the way our medical society and educational societies work, it's like the experts are going to tell you what to do. And then there's this expectation that you just yes them and do it and that they know best. But that's really like um, not how it should be because no one knows the child as well as the parent. No one knows the goals and values of the family as well as the parent. So the single best person to make the decision is 
is the parent. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And so, so I think most doctors have evolved into this model of shared decision-making, which is to welcome input from the family. I know educators also in IEP meetings. That's why they have the IEP meeting is because they want you to participate. They want you to share what your priorities are and tell them what they're getting wrong so they can do the best for your child. But it's not always easy to have confidence in those settings. But but when I think when you take a step back and you think about it as a parent, it's like, of course, of course, like they're looking to me to pick the priority for what we accomplish in this visit. And they're looking, you know, I have to be the one to say that, like, the most important thing in the next month is that everybody in my household gets some sleep because it's really taking too big a toll on our lives. And sometimes that might mean making choices to put other things on the back burner. Like you just maybe extra physical therapy would help your child. But if you take on another physical therapy, a session and the travel time to get it, you know, and and you have to work to to pay for it. You're going to be potentially e- even more sleep deprived and suffering. And so sometimes you don't have to say like it's too much and I can't do it, and that's okay to say it doesn't make you a bad parent. It makes you a thoughtful parent who who's having their um, priorities addressed. And you know, it's okay to say, you're not saying no, never. You're saying no, not right now. You know, no, that's not, that's not our priority to focus on at this time. Yeah, that's so important. And I feel like with the younger generations, that's becoming more common that parents speak up and say what's important to them and put that input. But like you said before, there's different personality types, there's different people, there's people who are just a little bit more shy or intimidated in the medical setting. Do you have any tips for parents when they, they're they afraid or they're scared to voice their opinions and, and what they feel um, are their priorities or their goals for their child and their family? Yes, I, I do think spending just a little bit of time uh, before a visit or a meeting about your child to prepare can be really helpful. Even if it's only saying like, what's the one question you really want answered or what's the one resource you really want to get for your child? Finding a way to bring that up in the first couple of minutes of the meeting, um, because what often happens um, is that people kind of wait for the end to see if it comes up naturally. And then maybe it's too late to really explore it fully and the time's almost out and you don't get the quality response that you deserve. So being brave enough to interrupt at the beginning of the visit, if you have to, and say, you know, the one thing that's really on my mind and that we have to sort out today is this. And and I think you'll, you'll find that if you do do that, that preparation work and bringing it up early in, that the the output you get from the providers will be will be better for you, for you and your family because it'll be centered around what your needs are. But you have to know what your needs are going in to be able to 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 advocate for them. 
Absolutely. And I think that parents are getting more experience in that, you know, they they're coming with their list, they're coming ready. And I think as physicians, we've also learned better to start with what do you need today? How can I help you today? What are your questions, concerns? Let's start with that before we get into our own agendas, right? Because I think in the medical community, the problem is, is because of the way that healthcare is designed and because of the way that unfortunately a lot of, uh, medical practices get reimbursed is that there is an agenda. There's boxes you have to tick. There's questions you have to ask in order to meet criteria for certain things. But really the way it should be is that each visit should be tailored to what the family, what the patient needs, because that's the whole point. <laughs> you know, Things have gotten a little backwards in some places. So I think that's a really important tip is that before you come to the meeting, get clear, know what you want to ask, know what you want to talk about, know what your goal or goals are for that meeting and start there. Don't wait until the doctor is about to walk out the door, <laughs> which is often like the worst time to be like, by the way. <laughs> so it's a great tip. The other part of shared decision-making that we didn't focus on is, is sometimes within families, there's shared decision-making. Yes. And often, um, often, uh, you know, two parents can have differing opinions on what's best and the best way to move forward, or, or the grandparents have differing opinions or the babysitters. We all bring our, our own, um, background knowledge, our biases, our preconceived notions, our, our lived experience to our child's challenge. And so there can often be a lot of like heated discussions within families about the best way to move forward. And similarly, I think that approaching those uh, conversations with curiosity is an important um way to do it. Because what happens is because we care so much for our children, we sort of say like, you must think I'm a bad parent if you're second guessing my my um, my decision making and the walls go up. Yes. Um, and sometimes when you say instead, like, what makes you think that? Or why are you suggesting that? Or you're, why are you suggesting that again and again? Like, I've heard this from you a lot. What? Why are you so focused on it? And then um, you can get at the why be, behind, um, you know, and unroof the misunderstanding. Or maybe, maybe you haven't told them about the information you had when you spoke to the teacher. And when you share that negative information, then everything kind of falls into a, into place. Or maybe you get to the fact that uh, this comes up a lot with mental health. There are sometimes family members who, who don't believe in the value of therapy. And maybe they need to be educated about the evidence behind why um, therapy might be indicated. You know, that like, yes actually cognitive behavioral therapy can be as effective as a medication for treating anxiety. And, and we have certainty in the label of anxiety because of this evaluation that was completed. And it, it kind of, it kind of stings because in reality, this is another responsibility that falls on the parents is to um, communicate and navigate these discussions within the family unit. Um, but but when these people spend time with your family, you know, the babysitters, grandparents, the teachers, sports coaches, whatever it is, you know, having them on your team and having them understand the assignment, of, uh, you know, it, it's it's important work that parents do and sort of making sure everybody's on the same page about the child's plan. Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? 
I love my Hamama microgreen grower. It's so easy. It's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water. And in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing. And a few days after that, you can start eating them. And it's so fun. And you can tell them that you're eating them. And they're really happy that you're eating them. And your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best part because I've told y'all before, I'm lazy. So I don't wanna have to use any mental energy that I don't need to. And they send you seed quilts every month. So you don't run out. You can change what seed quilts you want to try. So here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have. Hearty broccoli, refreshing cabbage, energizing kale, spicy daikon radish, super salad mix. You can even get wheatgrass. You can get culinary cilantro or even hot wasabi mustard. So there's lots to choose from. They have different flavors. They're so cute and they're health promoting. So you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful. I also use them for garnish when I'm making soups and salads and different bowls. You can impress your guests. But like I said, it's going to be low energy cost on your part. And it's actually not that expensive either. The other thing that I use from Hamama is a green onion growing kit, which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste. So you buy the green onions and then the little part that has the root, the white part at the bottom, you stick it in these little holes and then you just put the water in there and it grows. And then you can keep eating the same green onions. You just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food. So if you want to give it a try, you've been curious about microgreens and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing. Do you love Veggie Doctor Radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? Join the Plantscription. The Plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week. But that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you want to join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this plantastic community. Uh, that's such a good point. And you're right, because even just thinking about different health beliefs that people have and thinking of the generational differences in health beliefs, just taking something as simple as how we recommend now that we put babies on their backs to sleep. And then the grandma comes around and be like, that's ridiculous. You slept on your tummy the whole time and you slept great. So this is what we're going to do. He's going to sleep better this way. And they're less likely to choke. And then they, those health beliefs can confuse and create a lot of tension. Um, and I can see how that gets even more and more complicated with a child that has more needs like that. So yes, the parent really is the quarterback and they're just really having to manage all of these different things and, and try to keep that team together and cohesive for the best of the child. So speaking of family and friends, how can 
other people outside of that core family support caregivers of children with complex healthcare needs? You know, I think um, I, I've talked to a lot of a lot of parents about this because the truth is it's not always easy because you don't want to be a burden. Um, and it's hard to know what's needed or how you can help best without without having like a little insight into what they're facing. Certainly people appreciate it when um, specific offers of support are made. You know, I'm going to the grocery store. Can I bring you some some produce today? Like I'm uh, taking out my garbage every Thursday anyway. Why don't I just get yours too? I'm picking up a kid from the same school. Can I get the the sibling and just bring them home for you? When you know parents have a lot on their plate, offers of taking things off their plate are often welcome. I think the other thing to remember is that parents, you know, they have an identity that's outside of that of being a parent. Um, and so friendship still matters, you know, like they might, um, they might not always want to be talking about their child's condition and they might still want to connect with their adult friends about the TV shows they like or about the music they like or about funny jokes or, or shared friends and their, their drama. Um, and so what happens is that when you're really focused on your child's challenge, you're, you're not necessarily at all the social events and showing up for all the fun stuff as much. And so sometimes over time, people stop reaching out and it can be very isolating and sad. So just to continue to reach out, you know, I'm thinking about you because I, I saw that friend we had dinner with and it, you know, I'd love to catch up, you know, just to continue to reach out um, and maintain those relationships it is a gift. Um, and, you know, to also kind of follow social norms of like, you know, if you've reached out a few times and you haven't heard back, like maybe they're just too busy and like, doesn't mean they don't like you. Maybe they just are too busy to deal with you right now or don't have the energy and that's okay too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, those are such great tips. What do you wish more parents knew? You know, you know what, what comes up a lot is that parents assume that they're the only ones, you know, uh, a family is really struggling with their child's behavior and and thinking that there's a likely diagnosis of some kind of neurodiversity and that they might need to consider alternative schools or alternative therapies and all this. And they really like close in on themselves in this experience because they assume that none of their friends or family really could get it. The truth is that like most parents at some time navigate uncertainty of a possible diagnosis or navigate challenges. You know, it, when I talked about this book with random people over the past few years, everyone has been like, oh yeah, I know somebody who needs this. I needed this when my child was going through something. And so I think part of why it's so stressful uh, when your child gets a diagnosis is because you kind of assume um, that you're the only one and that this is, an, uh, this is so unusual or atypical. But the truth is that most children have stuff come up and we're more likely in this generation to make diagnoses so that we can get children all the resources they need to thrive. But it doesn't always mean that the diagnosis defines your child or their future or defines you as a parent, um, that if something does come up, it does not always going to be a huge crisis. And there's often a lot that can be done. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Dr. Freyden, do you have a morning routine? If so, can you share it with us? So I am a big fan of, of early waking. <laughs> I like to have my cup of coffee um, and try to get some exercise in before my kids wake up. I find it makes me a saner, a saner human. My exercise is to my mental health. So I alternate with like the, the videos in my 
in my closet and, and going for runs outside when I can. And it really helps me stay focused. And then we have a big breakfast in my house. I've always had big breakfast. I think because we eat dinner so early, we're all hungry. We have like, you know, eggs, sausage, hot breakfast. Um, and so I feel like I have a chance to connect with my kids in the morning because we're all early risers. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. Great time to yeah. connect right off the bat and get those positive feelings and the, you know, good bonding and connection in the morning. That's beautiful. There's so much well, Dr. family dinner, um, but sometimes people forget that like breakfast counts too as a meal. Yeah. Any meal does. I think I think you're right. We're focused. And I tell people that all the time. It doesn't have to be dinner. Sometimes dinner is just so hectic, especially once your kids are old enough to do sports. You're mm -hmm. all over the place. And so dinner sometimes is like the least likely time that everybody's going to be sitting down together. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with other any meal counts. Just sit down at the table together as a family, even if it's just a few times a week. It doesn't have to be every single day. Well, Dr. Frayden, uh, please tell my listeners where they can connect with you, where they can get your book, where they can get your first book, if that's still, you know, something that they feel like they can learn from and all the places. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I spend way too much time on Instagram um, <laughs> and Facebook, I guess, under the handle advice I give my friends so they can find me there. You know, I did write um, Parenting in a Pandemic. I think it's pretty outdated at this point and hopefully there's no more pandemics so you could pass on that one but advanced parenting is sold you know wherever books are hopefully that there's on amazon and and barnes and noble and bookshop and all those and there's an audible um audiobook as well did you narrate it yourself i didn't i i um I only did the the intro and the author's note because they um, apparently my voice is not up to task. <laughs> oh, well, it's a it's a pretty hefty book, too. And let me tell you, it is challenging to narrate your own book. It is more challenging than you would think. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's hard work. But well, congratulations on your book. It's a beautiful book. It's I think this is just a really good book just to even have as a resource, almost like a reference book too. Um, when you're going through different things, look up, you know, different tools and techniques that you can use to approach just parenting in general. I think it can help all parents. It doesn't have to be just parents of children with complex healthcare needs. Well, before we go, I want to ask you one last question. Leave us with your top three tips for parents or caregivers navigating the healthcare world with a child with complex healthcare needs. What can they do to ensure that they're caring for themselves too? One tip is to, when you take on a new responsibility, try to make it a habit to give up a responsibility. Mm. So whether that's saying, I'm just not gonna do this anymore, or I'm going to assign this task to somebody else. Um, it, you know, all of our plates are full. So when you take something on, take something off. It is one habit I try to encourage. Another is to, to break free of the idea that you have to do it all as a parent. Um, smart parents often... Um, know that they can't do it all and 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 delegate more more to the people in their child's lives so especially comes up a lot with siblings right if you have one child who has more health needs than the other it might be that you feel like you can't delegate out dealing with the illness but but your healthy child still needs attention and and support and so maybe the school counselor or coach or a neighbor or a friend can kind of take them out for an extra meal or support their needs during this 
tricky time, for example. So you can't do it all. Um, and that's okay. It just doesn't make you a worse parent for not doing it all. It's a reality. Um, and a third tip, um, a third tip is to be brave about being vulnerable. So I've been doing so many uh, live events for the book uh, locally with like, uh, you know, schools or community centers. And and it's always so interesting that one person will admit at, in the question and answer period that they're dealing with something big. And then it's just like dominoes. Then everybody is admitting what they're dealing with that's hard and big. And that, you know, it takes bravery to do it. But when you're vulnerable about the the real struggles that you're facing, you you know, you will catalyze a positive change in your community of people providing more real support and relationships being more real, you know, getting beneath the surface. And, and, and it's really rewarding. So it's worth the, the effort. Yeah. And that's a ripple effect. It's not just helping you, but it's helping everybody around you, which also augments and come back to you too. So, so yeah, yes. it takes bravery um, to do it, but being vulnerable, being authentic can really go a long way for your own self-care and for others too. Well, Dr. Kelly Fraden, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate all the work that you're doing, all the time that you spend helping other people, helping parents, you know, just feel more reassured and supporting them. This is really important and very invaluable work. So I appreciate you so much. And I hope that you have a very fantastic day. Thank you so much. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a fantastic day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.